was born, and he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, and he shed his blood, and that through that blood, just like Kiana in her, in her brilliant spoken word uh, 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 said more profound and more, more beautifully than, than I could say, but nothing is more beautiful than this good news that Jesus Christ died on a cross, and that that blood and that blood alone can change your life. And so we've been studying uh, this letter in, in Galatia. It starts off uh, right away, and Paul's very abrupt with them. Now, Galatia's not a city. I used to think Galatia was a city. You might think, like, where, where, what city was Galatia? No, Galatia was a whole region, a whole area. And, and, and there was a bunch of cities within that area. And when Paul, who had had a radical transformation in his own life because of the blood of Jesus... When, when, he, when that happened to him, he took all of his training as a Pharisee, learning the Old Testament and God, and had, 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 had changed his life, changed his mind, and had spoken truth to him and given him a message and a mission. And then he goes out. We see in the book of Acts that he has three major missionary journeys where he's literally just going and saying, God changed my life, and he's telling this good news that Jesus Christ and Christ alone can change your life. It changed my life, it can change your life. He's spreading the gospel. In his first missionary journey, he goes right through this area of Galatia. And he tells people about Jesus, and they listen, and they hear it, and lives are being changed, and churches are being planted. And then he moves on because that's what he does. He's, he's, he's more like a, a Dave Page where he's going and he's planting churches. And then, and then he was leaving guys like me there to take care of it. Well, after he leaves for a while, he gets some bad news. That the, that the churches in Galatia are being influenced by this new group of people that he calls the Judaizers. And basically what they're saying is that Paul gave a weak message that, that, that yes, you, need, you do need Jesus, but you also need to still follow the Mosaic law. And Paul recognizes how profoundly dangerous that is. So he begins by saying, I'm astonished that you guys are falling for this. These are like his little kids in the faith that he loves dearly. And you can imagine if you have teenagers and your kids do something incredibly dumb, which they do every once in a while. I did it when I was a teenager. You probably did it when you were a teenager. I now have teenagers who are awesome, but they even do some not smart things. And he's just like, I'm astonished that you would do that. Why did you do that? Right? And that's, that's kind of what's going on. And he's writing this letter with that heart. And he's basically saying that there's, that there's this great news that I came to tell you that you cannot fix yourself. But that Jesus came to do something which you can't do. So, and then these new group of people are coming and saying, no, you still have to do. It's, it's still about works. And he's saying, no, that's profoundly dangerous. And we've talked about many reasons why that is. And today we're going to finish this letter, and so I'm going to read it. If you missed any of the series, you can you can go and, and, and listen online. Um, but I just want to I just want to finish this and finish this well, and I'm excited. So let me pray, and then let's finish this well. Dear dear Jesus, I need you desperately. I 
thank you that you've made that known to me. I thank you that I'm no longer lost and, and, and knowing that I'm broken, but with no idea how to fix it. I thank you that now it's different. Now I know I'm broken, but I know the answer. I thank you that you've made me new in your eyes from day one with you. And that you've promised that every single day for the rest of my life, you're going to make me more and more like you. I thank you that it's a, it's, it's a process. I thank you that you are in control of that process. Help me and help us to surrender to that process. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in Galatians chapter 6 and starting in verse 11, and we'll read all the way through here and then we'll dig in and you can pull out your notes and we'll fill in some blanks and hopefully God will speak to us whatever he needs to speak to us specifically. And he says this in verse 11. He says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Right? Now that's profound, but I'm going to tell you why that's profound. For one thing, uh, we learn here that Paul typically writes his letters with a scribe. He involves somebody else. He, he dictates the letter and then somebody else writes down most of his letter. Now, now, now when it says here, go see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Some people would say that the reason why that's happening is because uh, uh, Paul has bad eyes. And we know that that's true. In the letter itself, he says he has bad eyes. So particular, maybe he's writing big letters because he has bad eyes. I would, uh, I would say that maybe that's not true. And here's one detail that, that influences me to believe that. He's a tent maker. To be a tent maker, you have to be able to work with some fine detail. I have to imagine that if he can make tents, he could probably write smaller. I think that what he's doing here when he says, I'm writing with big letters, it's like when we write something and we use all capitals, we bold it a little bit, we underline it, we exclamation point it, we add emojis, and we say, this is really important, listen. That's, I think, what he's saying. And he's saying at this last part, he, he writes with his own hand because he's had a scribe writing the rest. I want to say something to you if you're in ministry and you're a leader. This needs to be understood. Why does Paul use a scribe to help him write? Is it because he can't write on his own? Obviously not. He writes some of the end of it. But he decidedly, he, he intentionally involves somebody else in the process. He has somebody else partner with him. I have to believe that at least part of the reason is, is because that's the way that God works. That's the way Jesus works. That's the way ministry works. We're not supposed to do it alone. We bring somebody else. It's called giving away ministry. We say, I could do this myself, but I'm going to involve other people so they can learn to do it, so we can carry this on. So in this one, in this one uh, a statement here is a lot of implication, but it has really nothing to do with our notes, so that's just, just an extra. <laughs> See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. He says, it is, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. These are the Judaizers. These are the bad guys in the story, in this Hallmark story. You guys just watch Hallmark movies? We've been watching Hallmark movies. I have, I'm, just, I'm outnumbered at my house. It's all girls, and it's me, and sometimes, you know, I, I'm the one who is the most emotional and cries the most. But, but we watch these Hallmark movies, and my kids love to do this. They love to, okay, there's the jerk, right, in the story. There's always a jerk. And there's the good guy, and there's the girl, right? And so this is the jerk, right, in the Hallmark movie here. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh 
who would force you to be circumcised. Now, circumcision was, it, it represents stuff you have to do to be right with God. You know, maybe, maybe our issue isn't circumcision, but we certainly deal with issues where we think, if I just do that, then God will be happy with me. If I just go, I went to church for a whole month, and, and God didn't do what I wanted to do, so it does, this thing doesn't work. It's that type of thinking. It says, in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. I love that ending. He hasn't given up on them. He still calls them brother. There's still hope for them. He leaves it on a, on a positive note. And let's dig into our notes and kind of go through some things that, that, that are really profound and, and relevant for us Today, these were relevant, obviously, for the region of Galatia way back when, but it's, it's amazing how the Bible is incredibly relevant for us right where we're at in our own circumstances. And the first thing that we'll see in our notes is that authentic Christian, don't we love authentic, the idea of authentic, we all want to be authentic, no one wants to be fake, right? Raise your hand if you want to be fake, right? No one wants to be fake. So this idea of authentic Christianity is inward, not outward. It's inward, it's not outward. And, and here's letter A in your notes. That what we see Paul te teaching us, and really something that we already know, is that why you do what you do is a big deal. Why you do what you do is an incredibly big deal. And there's tremendous amount of implication that we all understand and we know that. That's what reality TV is based on. We, we want reality TV, even though we know that, you know, how, how, re how real is reality TV? We all, we're probably skeptical on that. We should be, right? But we just have this craving for things uh, that are real. Why you do what you do matters. This is what inspiration means. What makes somebody who's a great artist or a great poet or a great painter or a great musician, what makes their music more profound than just their talent is that there's some substance behind it. It's what they're inspired by, right? Adele has got great chops, but also when she sings, it's like you can just feel her emotion and that she's, as there's life experience in there, it's, it's what's inspired her that inspires you. What inspires you will inspire other people, and so why you do what you do is incredibly important. I'm starting to learn this as I, in the social media world with Facebook and everything like that, there's some good things and there's a lot of, you know, bad things with social media. And one of the values that comes across as a value for me is I really value how people think at least as much as what they think. Sometimes people completely disagree with me, but I love the way that they think. I respect the way that they think. And then there's other people who I would say, yeah, I kind of agree with the, the end what you've said, but I don't like the way that you carry yourself. 
I don't like the way you think. I don't like the way you hold that stance. Christianity is, this is, this is such a profound thing for us as Christians. How you think is just as important as what you think. Are you humble? Or are you prideful? Do you think you're better than other people? And trust me, this isn't new. That's why when we read the Gospels, Jesus is saying, take that big log out of your eye before you look at the speck of dust. It's how you think, how you, how you correct people, how you do what you do. And look at what Paul says in this letter. In verse 12, he says, the Judaizers are people pleasers. They're not gospel-centered. He says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they not be persecuted. Why are they wanting you to be circumcised? Because they want to look good in front of these Jewish people that are, that are, that are, want to, that are going to persecute them if, 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 they, if, they, if they hold to Christ and Christ alone. The Jewish people and this in their day the Jewish religion and the Christian religion kind of, it was a little bit muddied in the very beginning and, and they were actually in the temple and all of that, but then it became very clear that that's not true. And the Roman government, that, uh, in, in the early church, uh, the, the, the Jewish religion was a protected religion and once it started to be known that this was a separate religion, Christianity, that was no longer a protected religion, now they were in persecution with Rome. They were in persecution persecution against other Jews. There was, there was a lot of persecution. There was a cost to following Jesus. And these people didn't want to pay that cost. So they said, hey, let's get the best of both worlds. You can be Christian, but we can also be kind of Jewish, and we can kind of be under that umbrella. And Paul's saying, no, the implication of that is just, the why you're doing that is just to save yourself, but the implication is it's going to ruin this whole thing. It's no gospel at all. So why you do what you do, they want to be people pleasers. And then in verse 13, we see that they're hypocrites, right? They say one thing and then they do another. For even those who are, who, who, who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Isn't that one of the things that, that hinders Christianity the most? Hypocrisy. We say one thing and then we do the other. They're saying, be circumcised, and yet they're not following the law themselves. Jesus spoke to this a bunch. Jesus said some hard things. One of the things he said, you, you heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery. And, and they thought, well, yeah, that's what makes me good. I don't do that. And he says, no, if you've ever, if you've ever lusted with your eyes, you've committed adultery. You've heard it said that, 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 that you, you shouldn't commit murder? Yeah, I've never done that, so I must be pretty good. No, if you've ever had anger, you've already messed that whole commandment up. You don't follow the law. He's saying self-righteousness, thinking that you're good, is not the answer. What we need is we need to know that we're broken. We all need to know that we're broken. And that we all have that in common. And that Jesus is the answer. That's the only gospel. It's the only good news. And then in letter B, he says, he goes on to, to imply that behavior modification doesn't equal sustained transformation, right? Behavior modification is when you try to just fix the outside of you. 
right? You, you look at it, it says, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and some other things and patience. So, so you say, oh, I need to be more loving then, right? I'm going to smile more, shake more hands. I'm going to become a hugger this year. That's my goal, right? I went to the men's retreat. I was convicted I'm not loving enough. I'm going to give twice as many hugs in 2016, and then I'm going to fix that myself. And he's saying it just doesn't work. He tells this story. He says, he's, he, uh, uh, Jesus tells that this, this sinful woman comes into him, and, and, and she's broken, and she's, 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 she's not lived a good life. And, she, and, God, and he's already had a relationship with Jesus, and, God, and Jesus has transformed her life. He's accepted her, and her life is being changed, and she's so thankful. She comes in, and she weeps at his feet. And he's also sitting around with these self-righteous people who think they're really good. They're Pharisees, and they're judging her. They're saying, if Jesus knew how bad she is, he would tell her to get away. Jesus tells this whole story, and it ends with this. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who have been forgiven little, they love little. So it's only those who know that they're broken, that they cannot fix themselves, and that Jesus has done something profoundly beautiful in dying on a cross to set them free. He's done, done what they cannot do for themselves. He's given forgiveness, and then the fruit of that is love, and then joy. And then peace. It's an inspiration that comes from something that Jesus has done. And that's why Paul's so, so uh, adamant about this. It's the essence of Christianity that you are saved by grace alone. Anything else will lead to self-righteousness. It will lead to empty religion. It's no gospel at all. It's not about what you do or don't do, but it's a new creation, he says in verse 15. This is the way that that works. You go, I'm a new creation. I had a hard time with that when I was first a Christian. Like, a new creation, then how come I keep being a jerk? If I'm a new creation, then how come I keep messing up all the time? If I'm a new creation, then how come I'm so imperfect? No, it doesn't say that he makes, he makes you a, a perfect in the way that you live your life. First, he makes you perfect in his eyes. He makes you righteous in his eyes. You're new from the day he saves you. You're new in his eyes. And then he promises to give you his Holy Spirit. And then every day for the rest of your life, it says that in Philippians 1.6, 1, 6, 1, 6, he says, you can be confident of this, that he who began a new work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That every day in your life, you're just becoming a little bit more new, a little bit more like Jesus on the outside because it's trained, you're being changed from the inside out, not just on the outside. The behavior modification doesn't equal sustained transformation. Anyone ever tried to fix yourself? I do it all the time. I still do it. I do it like when I show up at work at the fire department, I'm like, I am going to be such a good example. I'm going to be a witness today. I'm like that guy who looks in the mirror like, you know what, Kenny? You're good enough. You're a new creation. And people are going to see Jesus in you today. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Those are good wants. They're good desires. But they have to be surrendered to Jesus. And Jesus has to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the letter C is that walking in the Spirit equals surrendering to the process. You ever wonder, what does it look like to walk in the Spirit? You don't need to go out in the mountains and start like channeling the spirit or doing anything weird like that. You don't. It's surrendering to the process. 
It's saying, I don't understand my circumstances right now, but I'm just going to surrender to the process. Things aren't happening the way I thought they were going to. I'm surrendering to the process. I don't know what to do. God, help me. I'm going to surrender to the process. I, I feel like I need to make a change. I can't fix myself. I surrender to the process. It involves prayer. It involves being around other people, having them help you. It involves reading the Bible, but all those things in themselves don't change you. It's surrendering to the process that changes you because that's how the Holy Spirit works. And, we, and in essence, he goes like this in verse 16. He goes, for all who walk by this rule. This word rule is the same word that we translate for the word canon, right? When we say the New Testament canon is all the books in the Bible. If you've ever, or in the New Testament, if you've ever wondered, how do they pick which books are in the New Testament? There's stringent uh, uh, things that they look at. There's qualifications for what makes a New Testament book. And it's called a canon, the measuring stick. How they measure that. He's saying how... You live your life if you live according to this rule that I'm teaching you, which is what? That you can't fix yourself. That you need God's grace. But the good news is that it's free and you have it. That you can't change yourself, but he's giving you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can change you. That's the rule. If you live by this rule. But the Judaizers, they have different rules, don't they? Who's your Judaizers? Right? The world. The world says do this and then you'll be happy. That's a rule. That's a, that's a canon. That's what he's saying. If you, what, what, what rule are you living by? Are you going to trust Jesus? Or are you going to try to figure it out yourself? Or are you going to try to buy a magazine that says seven steps to get what you want? Right? There's all these different rules. And he says which rule you pick. It's incredibly important. Jesus talks about this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28, something very similar to this is what rule do you pick? He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. If you've ever tried to fix yourself, you probably feel like that. It's frustrating. It leaves you heavy. It leaves you undone. It leaves you lacking confidence. It leaves you broken. If you've ever tried to be a people pleaser, anyone ever been, you'll, you'll realize very soon you can't make everybody happy. And you'll, you'll be tired. You'll be broken. You'll be frustrated. And Jesus says, whatever your rule is, come to me all you are labor, who, who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my rule, my canon, my scriptures, my way, my grace. Take that upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't want to move too fast from that point. When you guys read Jesus saying that, it's up on the board. When you guys see Jesus saying that, a little crowd participation, this is your part. This is your part in the service. What do you see in that? What speaks to you in that? Matthew 11. Anybody? Rest. Doesn't that sound awesome? How many of you guys need rest? How many of you guys have ever been in a crowded room and felt all alone? How many of you, of you guys have ever, ever, ever spent a whole day watching TV and then not feel rested? There's something deeper, isn't there, that Jesus offers? Rest. 
Stop trying so hard. Stop trying so hard to do it yourself, to do it your way. Give it to Jesus. Surrender to the process. And he will take over. He'll give you rest. Now we can see why Paul is so astonished that they are going a different way. It's not what they need. It's a a fake gospel. Number two in your notes is that authentic Christianity is divine, it's not human. And letter A is that the ungospel that Paul is pointing out in this text is that ungospel of works is about what we do. In verse 13, he says what they do is they boast in their flesh. This is what we call self-righteous. You ever met somebody who thinks they're all that? It's a turnoff, isn't it? Somebody who thinks they're all that is always a turnoff, right? (laughs) When I was young and trying to figure out the rule of how to be cool and how to get girls, I learned that you have to be a little bit of a bad boy, and girls like guys who get in trouble a little bit, and girls like guys who, and literally, this is the advice I got from someone older than me, you have to be a little mean to them. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. How stupid is that, right? But you have to be a little mean to them. If you're, a little, if you're too nice to them, and then you're the nice guy, and then you're the nice, watch the movie. Nice guys never win, and so you gotta be a little mean to them. This world is incredibly stupid, is what Paul's saying. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. It's the ungospel. Boast in your flesh, self-righteousness. Look at me, world. Everyone's gonna see past that. You know, what, you know what's amazing? Why I think in the world, people who have the most money and the most fame are often the most miserable. Because when, when, when you look great on the outside and everyone praises you, you know it's not real. You know you're still missing something. And now what is there left to hope for? When you're poor, you can hope for money. Someday I have more money than it'll be owed. But when you're at the top of your game in the world, and there's nothing else to hope for. It leads to ultimate misery. Why can't we see that? And that's what Paul, I think, is getting at here. <coughs> the gospel of grace, let her be, it's all about what Jesus did. And that's why Paul, in verse 14, he goes, I boast only in the cross. In other words, he's saying it's through faith, by grace, in Christ alone. Through faith alone. By grace alone, in Christ alone, is the only good gospel. And the, and the implication that Paul is making in Galatians is that people would say, well, if, 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 you just, if you say that you don't have to do anything, then people won't do anything, right? People are by nature lazy saying, no, you don't understand the power of this Jesus. When he gets in your blood, when he gets in your heart. It moves you. It transforms you. You want to go out and do what you want to tell people about Jesus. Paul wants to go all over the place and tell everyone about Jesus at great physical cost to himself, an emotional cost to himself, and, and, and reputation cost to himself. He's telling everyone about Jesus because he is so in love with Jesus and feels compelled that this is what Jesus wants him to do. And we don't need a makeover. Don't we love those shows, though? I mean, Fixer Upper. 
You know, I love it when they get to that point, fixer-upper, and like, hey, y'all ready to see your fixer-upper? And they move that big thing, right? And the house is brand new, and someone else did it for you. It's amazing, right? And then we all want to go to Home Depot and think we could do it. You can't do it. We were talking about this in the firehouse yesterday. This kid's 23 years old, Brad. He just got a house, and he put, like, like paper up on his shelves, right? Like, a, you pull the sticker off. He can apply a sticker now, right, on his shelf. And he was so proud of himself, and his wife was so wowed. She's like, you know what I want you to do next? Crown molding. <laughs> You're so good at it, right? He's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. So, so we cannot fix ourselves. And here's the thing, guys, I feel for you. It's so hard to be a guy. I mean, to be able to play an awesome, deep song with a, with a beautiful melody that all the girls love and then be able to make a steak and a lasagna and, like, bake and, like, and like be the, the, the nice guy, but, but then the, who, the, the, uh, the, the hero guy, like, to ride motorcycles and do crazy things so that people go, wow, he is so brave, right? It is incredibly hard to be a dude. I'm just telling you. Stop trying. Stop trying. I'm just saying that this is the the pressures uh, that we feel. um, And if you guys ever wonder, sometimes I'm tired and so my sermons get a little weird. And then sometimes I'm on NyQuil and my sermons get a little weird. Uh, Well, what happens when you're tired and you're on NyQuil? This. We don't need a makeover. We need a complete do-over. He's saying you need to be a new creation. You don't need to just, like, fix a few things. You don't need to go to the men's retreat or the women's retreat and, like, find the what's the one, what's what's my, what's the first of the year, what's my New Year's resolution? You don't need to just lose 15 pounds, dude. To get into those skinny jeans, most of you guys are like me and you think, if I did 25 sit-ups every day for two weeks, I could get into those skinny jeans by New Year's Day. You're lying to yourself. And spiritually, it's the same way. That's all I'm saying. It's like, you don't just need to get on a Bible reading plan. You need to do that. You don't need to just join a community group. Please do that, though. You don't need to just show up to church more. But, but, but I think that's a good, but that's, that's the process. But, but it's like showing up to the gym. You ever showed up to the gym and you don't know what you're doing? And you just think like, and you buy the membership and you just think you're going to be able to walk around like, oh, that thing's open. And you go on there and you do like, until you can't do it anymore, and then, and then you go to something else, right? And you saw someone else do that. That guy looked real cool when he was doing that. I'll do some of those. That's no way to work out and get in shape. You have to know what you're doing. There's more to it than that. If you didn't know that, let me help you. There's more to it than that. So then people, what do they do? They get someone to help them. They get a personal trainer. And the personal trainer is part of the process, but you also have to put in the effort. And I think that that's a lot of what Paul's saying, is that the Holy Spirit is an essential part of this process. And you also have to put yourself in the process. And when you guys do that together, teamwork makes the dream work. He does all the work. And you just do like, this is a little teeny bit of work, but you have to put a little effort in. And then he takes over. I think that's what he's saying. That it looks like to walk in the Spirit. To surrender to the process. You don't just need a makeover. You need a complete do-over. You need to surrender your life to Christ. Even if you've been a Christian for 30 years, today maybe you need to re-surrender your life to Christ. Maybe you have not been able to fix that issue that you have. Maybe that anger thing that's going on with you, with your kids, or, 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 or with your wife, or at work. Maybe, maybe that, that issue that what your eyes have been looking at, what you've been doing when no one's looking, and it's just killing you. Maybe, maybe resolve is not the answer. 
Maybe Jesus is the answer. Maybe resolve yourself to give it to Jesus and say, I'm desperate for you to take over this issue. Is what it looks like. Is authentic Christianity is real. It's not religious. Religion is an outward action to appear godly. That's how if you define it like that, then Christianity is not that. An outward action that you would do that would somehow make you look more godly. If you don't think that you do that, I do that. If you can't recognize that you do that, sometimes recognizing that you do that is, the, is, is important to be able to surrender. We do that. We don't come in here and, and, uh, and try to like, let everyone know how bad our week went. We come in here with fake smiles sometimes. And we want everyone to think it went well. We, we, don't, we don't invite people over to our house. Uh, we don't, many of us don't like it when they just show up because there's just stuff everywhere, right? Like, takes, like I, if you're going to come over to my house, let me know an hour and a half because that's how long it takes me to get the bare minimum of my house ready for you to see it. Right? Am I the only one? That's how it works. Authentic Christianity, it's not just religious like that. And Paul's saying, Paul's marks come from persecution for his proclamation of the gospel. At the end there, he goes, he goes uh, for let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Literally, he's going all over the place because he loves Jesus. It's real. That's what's compelling him. And he's telling everyone about Jesus, and they're, and they're literally beating him and putting him in prison. He has literal physical scars, marks on his body that, that, that show you that this is all because I love Jesus and I'm out doing what he called me to do. You get that? His marks on his body. You have to understand this. When you surrender to the process, it's not always pretty. But does it mean that when you start following Jesus, your life's going to be awesome? Actually, a lot of times God takes you through difficult circumstances and he uses difficult people and difficult circumstances to change you for the good. Isn't that wonderful? It doesn't feel wonderful. Why should you join a community group? I went to a community group and I got hurt. Stay committed to the process. God wanted to use that hurt for good. God uses hard circumstances because he loves us. He uses it for our good. And Paul's saying, I'm out being persecuted, but high-fiving everybody because of it because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I've never been more alive. Never been more joyful. That's amazing because Jesus is in the center of it. And the letter B is that circumcision was an external mark promoted to avoid such persecution. Do you see the contrast in his, in his words? He says, These people want you to get circumcised so they won't get persecuted. I'm saying, Listen to me, I'm out doing it because it's real and I'm even being persecuted because of it. What? What in our lives? Do we do or not do because we're trying to avoid persecution? I, I, I will have the worship team come back up. I, I remember when I was a brand new firefighter. This is, uh, this is not my, my best moment. I was a brand new firefighter. We were out on the training ground. And, and one of the older guys um, was, was training us. And it was kind of like my rest time. And someone else was doing something. And, he, and this girl walked by. Right? And he's not a man of God. And he was making comments about this girl. And I wasn't. And he goes, what, what, you don't think she's pretty? 
And I just, I know when I'm a rookie firefighter, you just keep your mouth shut. And he goes, you're not one of those born-again Christians, are you? I kept my mouth shut. That always bothered me. Four years later, I had a conversation with him. Four years later, I said, hey, remember that time when you, you asked me if I was a born-again Christian? I just, want to, I just want to answer you. It took me four years to get up enough courage. I just want to answer you that, yes, I am. We had this awesome conversation, but I understand that pressure of not wanting to be weird, of not wanting to be one of those guys, right? Incredibly loud voices on social media these days. Don't be like one of those guys. Oh, I'm, like, I'm different, right? Why don't we just make it all about Jesus? And let the chips lie where the chips lie. And the last thing in your notes is this. Paul's whole heart for this letter is the cross. No games, no excuses, no alternatives, no gimmicks, no hype. Jesus. This church I love. We meet in this school because there's no games, no excuses, no alternatives, no gimmicks, no hype. Just Jesus. Jesus is the reason that we've made it through three years. Jesus is the reason we're going to make it through the fourth. Jesus is the reason you made it through what happened to you last year. Jesus is the reason you're going to make it through what's going to happen to you this year. It might not be pretty, but if you just surrender to Jesus, you can trust him. And it's going to be okay because he is making it okay. And so as we prepare to worship, I would just offer one thing, one response. And I'll let the Holy Spirit work in your own life to let you know what that looks like for you. What does it look like for you right now in this season to surrender to the process? Oh, Lord, my God, when 